0: Life sciences market is increasingly going global. From a REITs perspective, it's going global faster. I can't think of any of the leading REITs, publicly traded or private, that are simply looking at portfolio in the U.S. anymore.
1: Hello and welcome to the REIT Report. Before we get to our guest today, I wanted to let you know about NEARIT's upcoming REIT World Conference. More than 100 REIT management teams will be there and are currently accepting requests for in-person meetings with investors who are registered for the conference. This event will also give you the opportunity to get the latest news, analysis and insights from REIT industry experts on topics ranging from ESG to the economy. REIT World will be on November 15th, 16th and 17th in San Francisco and I encourage you to register today at REIT.com forward slash Today, we're focusing on one of the most innovative sectors of the real estate market, namely life sciences, and how it has been faring in the current environment of market volatility and uncertainty. With me to answer these questions and more is Travis McCready, Executive Director, U.S. Life Sciences Market at JLL. Travis, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today.
0: Sarah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: So let's start by looking at current industry fundamentals. What do capital flows into the life science industry look like today? And how do they compare to 2021 and 2020 levels?
0: Sure, it's a little bit of a uh, complicated picture. Uh, So let me take that from a number of different vectors. From a venture capital standpoint, funding raised by U.S. life sciences companies between uh, 2019 and uh, 2022, obviously uh, 2020 was the high watermark uh, because of COVID at about uh, $35 billion. Um, But right now, we are actually back to historical levels. Um, We're right around the uh, 2022, 2021 mark. Uh, we're pacing to be uh, the second highest um, in in history in terms of fundraise for for venture capital. So from a venture capital standpoint, things are looking actually quite good. Where uh, the picture seems to change radically is when you start looking at the public markets, particularly uh, IPOs which uh, for the life sciences ecosystem is somewhat of the lifeblood and the way um, that uh, capital is and exits are created. Uh, right now, we're only on pace uh, for about 30 IPOs uh, and less than $3 billion raised in those IPOs, which would make 2022 um, perhaps the, the worst year uh, for life sciences public markets in, in over a decade. Um, so this this picture is complex between uh, venture and risk capital raised, um, and the other end of the spectrum, um, the IPO market um, for life sciences, uh, making it not entirely um, a a great year, uh, but certainly one in which uh, it, it seems that uh, life sciences companies are retooling, further complicating. Um, The picture are the uh, federal funding levels as well as uh, philanthropy and philanthropic investments. Um, You can't really talk about life sciences investment without talking about um, the uh, NIH, which is uh, right around a $45.2 billion uh, budget. Uh, So it continues to be strong and high in the United States. Uh, as well as additional uh, investments that are being made by the White House through uh, the National Science Foundation, as well as the Economic Development Administration for biomanufacturing in particular. Uh, And then lastly, um, philanthropy, which in some cases for uh, research institutions makes up about 45 percent of their uh, of their budget. uh, Philanthropy continues to be strong. Um, contributing roughly uh, $25 billion uh, to fund basic research um, at institutions across uh, the United States. Uh, so all in all, uh, things are, uh, are positive, trending positively, uh, but certainly uh, one thing for us to keep an eye on is at what point in time uh, the IPO market uh, for life sciences companies, return.
1: Yeah, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about that. Those numbers do sound very disappointing. Any expectations when things could start to recover?
0: It's the public markets. It, it could be tomorrow. Uh, it, it could be the day after. There's there's really no sense. Um, I, I think that uh, based on what we're hearing from LPs, venture partners, um, and the like, um, there's certainly a a an environment of conservation of capital and a focus on the efficiency of use of that capital um, as a result of the IPO market being somewhat weak. And there is certainly a focus um, on producing great data uh, and and continuing to produce innovations uh, that will lead to uh, great data throughout the research uh, and development cycle. that should be good news to everyone. Uh, this is a return to fundamentals uh, post-COVID where there was um, exuberance produced um, in, the, in the run-up to trying to find the vaccines and trying to find the, the diagnostics uh, that would help us combat uh, COVID. Um, so uh, the way we look at it I- is good news, bad news. Uh, yes, Um, weak data coming from the IPO market currently, uh, but certainly a return to fundamentals in how we think about those data, how we think about the generation of scientific data uh, and investment in companies overall.
1: So how does this mix of trends translate into demand for life science space and what impact is it having on rent levels?
0: Yeah, it's it's really uneven um, across the United States. Um, If you take a look at the five major markets, uh, uh, Boston, San Diego, San Francisco, uh, the Maryland, D.C. area, and uh, Raleigh-Durham, there's been a decline in demand um, over the past year of about a third, down from about 21 million square feet to 14 million square feet of space. It's important to understand, however, um, that that's due to both The factors that we talked about as relates to the IPO market, but also um, the fact that we've actively been um, retooling the pipeline of lab space in those markets. So there's been much more uh, lab space that has come online in the past year meeting um, demand in a a very uh, disequilibrium market uh, for lab space. On the other hand, the the positive thing um, that's happening uh, is uh, there is a sublease market um, in these major markets that um, didn't exist to the scale that it does today. And real estate folks are are probably scratching their head why I say a sublease market is a positive thing. Um, But if you take a look again at the the funding trends, the venture capital funding trends and the amount of investment that's being made into uh, series A, series B and scaling up companies, these companies in the major markets now have access to class A lab space uh, through a sublease vector. Uh, that perhaps didn't exist 12 to 24 months ago. This bodes well um, for uh, larger scaling companies in the pipeline going forward in 2023 and beyond. So the existence of this sublease market is is somewhat of a positive thing, a boon um, in the major markets. The The other thing that's happening, however, is the overall U.S. life sciences market is maturing there are more markets prepared to deliver this complex admixture of conditions that make for an efficient um, verdant life sciences ecosystem. So it's not only just about the five major markets, we're now tracking at least uh, 15 to 20 markets in the, in the United States of America alone um, that are great places Uh, to start, grow, and be funded um, in the life sciences. Um, In all of those markets, generally speaking, uh, rents have not abated. Uh, Rents continue to be strong. They have not fallen off. They might not be growing at the same uh, double-digit percentages uh, as they were in years past. Uh, But we're not seeing an erosion of rent levels uh, in the markets across the United States.
1: And that leads into my next question, which is um, your latest research, what that really shows about the balance between those traditional cluster markets um, like Boston, San Francisco, and the possibility for expansion into new markets, which, as you say, is already happening. So how do you see that playing out?
0: It's one of the things that we talk perhaps the most about internally and, uh, and with our clients is, is where to get exposure. Um, where to get uh, lab exposure in the United States um, if you can't get into or if there's no availability uh, within uh, the major markets. Um, We try to avoid um, this uh, clunky ranking of saying uh, a, a number one market is Boston and therefore it's better than a number 15 market. I think that I think that's an an unfortunate way of reading um, an outlook or a ranking system such as this. Um, We instead have tried to present a way of thinking about resilient markets and efficient markets that have, again, this this admixture of funding, uh, great talent, infrastructure, To uh, be able to create its own life sciences ecosystem that doesn't have to compete um, against Boston, San Diego, and San Francisco. Uh, To that end, you know, I I hesitate to uh, suggest any particular market, Um, but I I will say uh, we really are uh, interested in and uh, are very impressed by the progress made in smaller population cities like Boulder, Colorado, Salt Lake city um, and Pittsburgh. Um, these markets uh, may not have the uh, population size as uh, Philadelphia, Boston, San Diego, and San Francisco, uh, but they're creating their own definition of of vibrancy um, and uh, certainly investors and scientists uh, and venture capital are paying attention.
1: That's interesting. Probably quality of life issues in those cities as well.
0: Indeed. Mm
1: -hmm. Indeed.
0: That's one of the drivers to a market like Boulder, Colorado, absolutely, is quality of life. Mm
1: -hmm. So looking ahead, are the conditions that we're seeing in 2022 indicative of what you're expecting over the longer term for the life sciences sector?
0: I, I think so. The head of the FDA uh, made a comment earlier on in, in 2022, which I thought was very prescient. He said, in God we trust, everyone else bring good data. <laughs> and I think that's, that's the mantra for, for 2022, um, is, is a return to fundamentals. Uh, good data and innovative science uh, a focus on highly trained workforce uh, across the skills spectrum so not just the PhDs but certainly across the skills spectrum. creative and patient capital patient capital being important to avoid the uh, exuberance perhaps that folks, um, uh, were seduced by um, in parts of 2020 and 2021, and obviously the right infrastructure. In the case of infrastructure and lab space, it's not only about building the right infrastructure, but uh, building the right infrastructure in the right place and at the right time. If we focus on 2022 and sort of pull back and see the forest for the trees, I think those are the lessons and those are the conditions um, that this year has been teaching us that uh, will propel the market forward going forward into future years.
1: And finally, what are some key takeaways from your research for investors looking at breeds that are active in the life sciences sector?
0: Yeah, that's been fascinating um, over the past couple of years. I think the two Biggest takeaways or lessons that I would offer are, one, investors are looking for and they crave an advisory that can help them understand and parse the entirety of the market, not just the real estate. We ourselves, as an advisory, we're now supporting our investors with financial and market knowledge, research and analytics, some degree of scientific knowledge as well as the conventional real estate understanding and execution. Investors are increasingly understanding that if you're going to be expert and active in the life sciences space, you need all of those tools, not just conventional understanding about uh, real estate and real estate operations. The second lesson I'd say is that the life sciences market is increasingly going global. From a REITs perspective, it's going global faster. I can't think of any of the leading REITs, publicly traded or private, that are simply looking at portfolio in the U.S. anymore. Everyone is looking for exposure cross-Atlantic and cross-Pacific. Part of that is the need to, to deploy capital more quickly, but part of that is also because these international markets are incredibly effective at delivering those um, those conditions that that we were talking about the golden triangle in the uk london oxford cambridge is a is a classic example of a geography that has world-class science and scientists great workforce and now increasingly Uh, great infrastructure lab buildings to be able to uh, create a vibrant life sciences ecosystem. And I could go to a half a dozen to a dozen markets around the world that are equally accelerating. And all of the REITs are looking for those uh, international markets to go along with the domestic markets here in the United States. That just means for me and for us having better teams internationally um, that are um, uh, prepared to execute and find the efficiencies of scale that come from having exposure both domestic to the United States and in other international markets.
1: Excellent, Travis. Thank you so much. That was really helpful.
0: Thank you, Sarah.
1: And to our listeners, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe or leave a review on your favorite podcast platform.